Hello, Elwood City Limits listeners. It's Will here. And yeah, that means it's going to be a little bit of a different episode. If you're just hearing from me at the top, that's usually what that means. So this time around, it means that, well, my co-host, Lucas Mancini, is very, very busy as the school season begins again. He's being called all over North America. He's a regular Buster Baxter, uh, that jet-setting kind of guy. So we are going to be doing today's episode with a special return guest who I've been wanting to have back on the show, and I'm very happy to welcome back. And we'll get to him in just a little bit here. Wanted to start off by welcoming you to the show and by uh, getting into the couple of emails that we have gathered at elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. Thank you all for your emails and correspondence. The first one comes from Jeff L., a.k.a. Jack Answer Me, in the ECL Discord, which is a Patreon-exclusive Discord. Hello, Will and Lucas. Been meaning to email you for a while. Life has gotten in the way. I was listening to the beginning of your latest episode of ECL, and since I think I might have the answer to a couple of your latest questions, I thought this was the best time to finally reach out. The last weekend of summer vacation, in true Mr. Ratburn fashion, I'm a third grade teacher. Hey, all right. Lots of connections here. The uh, My family and I took a trip to Massachusetts for a friend's wedding. On the way, we took a detour to Boston and visited the Children's Museum. The museum proved to be too overstimulating for my oldest, who was only two and a half, and after one too many meltdowns, we cut our visit short. Luckily, we visited the Arthur exhibit first, though, and I snapped a picture of the Elwood City map they have on display. I've attached it here, and I hope it can save you and other fans some time from creating your own map. We did talk about that in our most recent episode, so there you go. Um... I'm sorry if my poor photography skills caused any labels from the map to be hard to read. Well, and of course, maybe that's a pilgrimage that listeners or even us, the hosts of Elwood City Limits, should make to Boston someday. I've been to Boston before, but I could stand to go back again. Anyway, there's a place located near a stream behind Arthur's house labeled The Fort, which I have to believe is where the treehouse is located from the show. I also have to wonder, though, how up-to-date the map is, since it clearly has been around long before the show ended. Some omissions leave me a little puzzled, like I couldn't locate Binky's house on the map, which I remember is supposed to be close to the school from that episode where Arthur and Buster tried to convince Binky that Lakewood Elementary burned down, even though he had a clear view of it from his house. Well, good, uh, good research there. P.S. In case it's another several months before I reach out again. Happy holidays and thank you for what you do. Well, thank you, Jeff. Appreciate your legwork here. This one is from Anonymous. Dear Lucas and Will, I have been following this podcast since May of last year, listening to the backlog out of order depending on what Arthur episode suits me at the moment. With the Flash era coming closer, I'm looking forward to your eventual take on some personal favorites, such as Buster's Book Battle, Sue Ellen and the Last Page, and Carl's Concerto. In the meantime, I feel like Whistling in the Wind had a lazy wrap-up sending the wrong message. I wish it could have concluded with Timmy finding a special talent of his own instead of comparing himself and eventually lowering his brother down to his level. As a multiple bird kid, one of fraternal triplets. I also struggled with comparison when it seemed my same age brother and sister were succeeding in so many activities and more friendships, and I hadn't found something for me to be proud of. I did eventually find my own calling, and we all get along better in our separate adult lives. Considering that the Tibbles are only four, though, they're kind of young to be figuring out who they are in the world, but if they'd been eight-year-olds like Arthur and his friends, I'd like to have seen how even more fleshed-out individuals they could be. A lot of twins, triplets, etc. that I've seen in fiction are usually identical, and 
and portrayed like one mind and multiple bodies, whereas fraternal siblings are much more common in the real world. This contributed to, to some annoying questions slash comments from single birth folks that I've dealt with in one way or another. We're ordinary siblings that just happen to be born together. Well, I'm happy you brought this up, Anonymous, because one of the things that I didn't, I tried to kind of steer away from in our discussion was that we kind of already did this in another episode. We did this, I, uh, I'm, I'm blanking on the name, but the one where Timmy is sick and DW and Emily discover that Tommy's actually kind of the good one, and it's Timmy's bad influence, uh, which they didn't actually really run with. Um, we don't, I, I mean, maybe you could find examples, but I feel like the instigation from the Tibbles usually comes from both sides still. We never really ran with the fact that, like, Timmy is the bad one, more so than Tommy. I've watched Arthur since I was about two and a half, well into adulthood. I believe Fern is my favorite character because she seems to resemble me the most as I am now, and in my childhood when I wasn't being a DW. Fern starts out a shy, quiet girl devoted to her special interests, but is smart in observing others' behavior as well as adorable with her huge imagination. I relate very much to how she's portrayed in the fan fiction series A Different Point of View by Squaresville, especially her disgust at being forced to attend a school dance. Carl and George are also relatable, particularly Carl, particularly Carl, since he's autistic like me. His intro episode premiered when I was 12. The other three possess individual quirks of my autism and general personality that he doesn't. Looking forward to hearing more terrific content, continuing my backlog of 16 episodes. P.S. The melody Tommy whistles is Mozart's Turkish March. Thank you, Anonymous. One more quick one here from Z. What's your favorite title card sequence? Uh, I like the title card where Buster does the random sound effects and Arthur laughing. This is a good one, and I'm sure that we have discussed this one before. We don't mind, I, don't, I don't mind discussing it again. But um, for me, that that's probably up there for my favorite one, especially the one where Buster burps. It's just really, really rude. Um, I don't know. Uh, the one with Arthur and the umbrella always kind of gives me a nice nostalgic feeling, so that would probably be my other favorite one. But I'd love to hear from others. What theirs is too. Thank you, everybody, for all these emails. And by the way, thank you as well for the emails on trying to find out the Gen Z lyrics of the Arthur theme song. Um, And forgive me, I don't remember exactly who it was. um, Who? Oh, and well, there were a couple of people, a couple of you listeners who had the um, who had the answer. And uh, I'll attribute this one to anonymous. And it is season seven, episode one, the one with Castaway and the Great Sock Mystery. It's in the first uh, 15 minutes or so. And it's, uh, it's me reading out Gen Z lyrics, which must have been a post going around at the time. And thank you so much for your correspondence. Again, ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com if you'd like your email read on the air. We also want to thank our patrons. Lucas and I both want to say thank you to everyone who donates at patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. Our most recent episode, we talked about <laughs> uh, Dinosaur Train. That one got uh, a little bit heated. Uh, you know, not between the two of us. We both kind of had felt a certain way about Dinosaur Train when we all said and done, but we had fun talking about it. And uh, I'll let you know what's coming up for our next episode of For the Kids uh, at the end of the episode. And I will say, We've got some changes coming to that old Patreon. Patrons will know about it first, like our brand new patrons, Rin and Mamata. We also have patrons such as Emilio C., Grace Cole. Uh, we have Wolf Lover Zodiac and David Corrales. We have Jack and Katie P. and Jenny Cardenas. We have Josh and Dallow. 
Uh, Rory Forever, Lauren Rodriguez, RG, and J Wags. Going to the second page here, the Flying Sparks 32. We have Casey Cosmos and Baby Show Addict, Cedric Taylor and Sydney Long. We have Allison and Mary Archambeau, Nicholas DeMarco. We have EJ Acra and Andrew Power. We got Peebs in there too, uh, who's a former guest, but not the guest this week. We got Katz and Shayna Bennett and Christine Wong and Macy Ball. We also have Ross Ward, Emily Kay, Shandra LaFave Boten. Light Relentless, and Leanne S. Congratulations to Leanne S. on her recent great job news, which she shared with us in the Elwood City Limits Discord, which you have access to if you are a patron. Okay, of course, wanted to get all that stuff out of the way because we're going to be talking about today's Arthur episode with returning guest Rage. Rage is back with me, and we're going to be talking about, uh, well, a Buster-centric episode and a DW episode, and there's plenty to talk about in both. If you don't remember Rage, he was on earlier this year in January uh, in the Arsubia episode. So uh, cast your mind back there, and uh, Rage and I, we get down to it. Rage, Rage is a lot of fun. I'm glad we had him back on the show. So let's go to our discussion right now. Okay, well, when Lucas is away... We still find ways to play as we continue on here. Season 15 of Arthur. We're going to start off with Buster's secret admirer. But before we get into that, let me uh, let me let me talk to and reintroduce you to our guest this week. It's Rage back once again in the year of 2022. Hey, Rage. That's right. I'm officially a returning guest now. I mean, ha- you're you're part of the guest roster, and happily so, because I had a great time recording with you. I wish it could be the three of us again, and hopefully we'll be able to do that someday. But when I thought about who hasn't been on the show for a while, and I think who was due, you were you were definitely someone that I wanted to to kind of have all to myself. Yeah, Lucas is in the United States. I believe he's searching for Elwood City Limits as we speak. So yeah, we actually we actually yeah. got an email this week about a map of Elwood City. So maybe he's maybe he's going to stop in Boston to the Children's Museum and find out what it's really all about. I I hate to do this to you, you know I do. <laughs> uh, there's something in this episode that throws a little wrench in your location but you think so we'll get okay to it. we'll get uh, you know we'll get to all right it. well for those who maybe haven't heard the episode yet we have we have many listeners who are making their way through the backlogs and this this is you know over over 150 episodes at this point so maybe they haven't gotten to your episode rage uh you are the host of podcast 69 which you know everyone's every once in a while i like to I like to throw on and my gosh every every time i kind of check back in you are on some some weird, some weird stuff. Because podcast sixty nine. Why don't you, why don't you throw out the explanation of what podcast sixty nine is for anybody who hasn't listened? Podcast sixty nine is as, as is obvious from the title. I feel uh, we watched the sixty ninth episode of a different TV show every month. Last month was uh, radioactive. I showed my Malaysian yes. friend the sixty ninth episode of hit canadian teen sitcom radioactive did not care for it he <laughs> my malaysia it does not play in malaysia apparently hmm. I, I okay so radio radioactive yeah. by episode 69 
we're past the first season, right? Like we must, we must we have been are. into the new cast at that point. That's when I kind of fell off of Radioactive. I got to be honest. With I you. don't think it's as good a show. You know, the first season really hits on all cylinders. But I, you know, there's some gems in the second season as far as eleven-year-old me was concerned. Well, an Arthur connection with the first season of Radioactive. One of the main characters played by the original voice of Arthur, Michael Yarmish. If if I could interview him, no Arthur. All radioactive. All radioactive. That's... You've got to... I would do a disservice uh, to this podcast. You've got to do the Elwood City Limits version of Radioactive. I would listen to every episode. you got to talk to uh, to all of the all of the cast. i get, I got to believe they would be more than happy to talk about it because I haven't heard from those people in a long time. I, I don't know what any of them are doing, to be honest. I, we went through some of the cast uh, and what they were up to. A lot of them just dropped off the face of the earth. Went on to live normal lives as normal humans. They they couldn't stand the spotlight of uh, y- YTV weekday nights. How depressing, huh? Yeah. Well, yeah. I think we're going to have something a little bit less depressing, and that's this episode of Arthur that you and I are going to be tackling here. So the last time you were with us, it was season 13, and you kind of got a little bit of a taste of what Arthur was like, because... I'll, I'll, we'll just do the quick refresher. You, I, did you, you didn't really follow Arthur this long, did you? Like, we, you kind of had, I'm, if I remember correctly, you had a yeah. similar trajectory to, like, Lucas and I. Of, like, there was a time when you watched it, and then that time came and went. You, you, right. you weren't, like, still watching up to the final episode. Somewhere around season four? Season four, uh, yeah. I dropped it, yeah. You know, I would have been nine or ten at that time, so... Yeah, that that about that about makes sense. And yeah, I didn't appreciate the genius that was Arthur <laughs> when I went through those rough years of ten. You know? Well, I mean, ten-year-olds—they're not about appreciating genius, really. I don't think you really had the. Br- None of us had the cranial capacity to appreciate really anything beyond what we kind of see. It's only when you grow older. That's one of the. That's one of the great uh, trick cards of life is that you can only really appreciate something as you get older and sometimes when it's too late. But I I would argue it's not too late to appreciate Arthur because it's still going to be here and we've got plenty of episodes left to dive into. So the one that you are journeying with me here is, first of all, Buster's Secret Admirer. I'll also note here that I'm very happy to say that so far, a lot of season 15 episodes have been available for free and legally on YouTube. There are official PBS I, Kids uploads on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I was amazed. And I and I think that that's probably going to become a little bit more um, common as we go forward. Because I imagine as Arthur... like I didn't check the date on it, but I... I wonder if this, how quickly this would have come out as compared to uh, when it was released. Because by the time we get into the Flash era, it probably behooves them to put up um, Arthur as accessibly as possible. Yeah, well, this this was only 2021, I want to say. This episode? Yeah, they put it up on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, and and that probably was in in cooperation with the with the fact that Arthur is kind of starting to wind down at that point. So, um, I would love to I would love to know their strategy for that. But they're I, again just really happy to be able to easily access pretty pretty good. I don't know if it's HD. I don't I don't you know. I'm not th- that much into graphics or anything, but uh, you know, pretty good quality episodes of Arthur. 
No more searching the dark web. Well, I mean, not for that, but yes, yeah. I don't have to use unscrupulous means necessarily. Hopefully. We, I have the unscrupulous means on backup, just in case the, uh, the legal ways fail. So this one starts off with Buster. He's very much in love with love, Rage. She loves me. They love me. I love me. I didn't realize he was such a romantic, to be honest. Buster, as we've as we've gone on to realize, Buster contains multitudes. He's he's conspiracy minded. He's imaginative. He's uh, has maybe has dyslexia, and also he's a bit of a romantic, as we see in this episode. But this is something of a dream sequence because eventually Buster, you know, he's so in love he's mooning over the concept of love itself but he's picking the petals of a flower and the flower is awfully surly about it and he's uh the 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 flower gets in his face about it then there's these blue squirrels in the trees that start to uh, uh throw things at buster and finally he's uh air assaulted by these pig versions of cupid that are flying and they have the little arrows with plungers on the end and the idea is, is it, yeah. isn't it weird how the nicest dreams turn out to be the worst nightmares? Is it canon that Buster thinks strawberries grow on trees? <laughs> I, I could buy an eight-year-old thinking I that. I could buy Buster thinking that at almost any age. Yeah. Uh, that's a okay. good point, though. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give him a pass on this because it's a dream. So he's not it actively dream, thinking yes. this. He's a very passive observer. And then we get the little magical realism at the end because Buster finds... One of the plunger arrows in his bed. Was it all a dream? Who's to say? So the idea behind this episode, Rage, is that Buster gets a package in the morning. Mm -hmm. It has no return address, and he opens it later at school. It's a package of chocolates from a secret admirer, specifically a package of Pinchman's Simply Delicious Organic Assorted Chocolates complexly delicious as we find it <laughs> that's right that's uh, that's a, gr- a couple great lines from buster in this just like they lied they're complexly delicious but uh, buster's a little suspicious now, at first now will i i'm just an arthur layman i'm not an expert like you, right yes but i i feel like they have to have done the secret admirer plot line before yes uh, absolutely especially rage as i'm sure you can appreciate having just watched radioactive like i don't think it's possible to do a television series in the 90s that, or at least that started in the 90s without a secret admirer plot and we've this has been seasons and seasons ago there was one involving muffy that uh, immediately springs okay. to mind so yes well-worn territory but the good thing is is that we have this grab bag of different personalities and characters so we can we can go back to old ideas as long as we have new people to bounce them off of I think Buster, because he is conspiracy-minded, is a good foil for this plot line, yes. Right, he takes it in a little bit of a... Because he's not he's very suspicious about it. He's not so head over heels as somebody else might be, at least at first. Uh, yeah. By the way, Buster's mailing address is Roswell Court. Just wanted to note that. In fact, Buster at first thinks it might be a chocolate spot... Like, a, they might have mailed him a spider or, like, a bomb or something. And eventually he thinks maybe it's a chocolate spider... What kind of sicko would send me that? But no, he's very pleased that it's chocolates and still wants to wonders who his secret admirer is. And he kind of takes a quick look around. Could be this person, could be that person, could be Binky, who asserts himself as yeah. Buster is throwing foil on the ground. Binky comes up right in his face, he says, You shouldn't litter. And then he like palms five chocolates from the from the box and just walks away. He picks it up like 
like he's like he's a key Malajawan or something, just grasps them all in his hand. Like I don't think big paws. Like if I, like I think if I had a pot of gold box now, I could maybe fit three of those in my hand, and I'm a grown ass man. And it's not just Binky. Uh, Arthur is also snatching chocolate. That's true, but at least I think that he had the uh, implicit uh, permission since uh, Buster had him open the package in case it was something dangerous. He does snatch it very daintily, too. It's very cute. Uh, So Buster uses uh, an anagram system to try and crack the code of who could have sent this. And there was a there was a poem included we didn't add that's right there is a poem included and from the poem buster thinks that his first guess is that it could be a group of people called the dream reciters which and i quote a brotherhood of mystical beings that peer into your dreams and then recite them at their meetings so of course like you said rage this is this is where we get when we get buster the secret admirer he takes it into really imaginative places we get this cool imagination of these hooded figures looking over this like um kind of kind of like the same thing that galadriel looks into in the fellowship of the ring and they just see buster's dreams and they recite them to each other and then they're like oh buster had a bad dream let's send him a box of chocolates and they all look like uh is it ortho ortho from he-man oh orco yeah orco yeah Yeah, with with the hoods and the and the eyes behind the blackened hood yeah sure um so Buster is trying to figure things out. First, he has a few guesses. His first one is Muffy because the Arthur says that the box of chocolates that he got are fairly expensive. So of course, Muffy has a lot of money. Uh, he returns what he thinks is Muffy's affection by sending her a package in the mail. And so he got sent chocolate. Buster sends half a bologna sandwich with pickle. Now, yes, yeah, and a pickle. Now, the fact that it's half a bologna sandwich is one thing. I'm not crazy about that. However, I'd be fairly receptive to a sandwich in the mail. I'd like to think. Yeah, I don't think it's the best vehicle for a sandwich, but I, you know, I wouldn't turn it down. You'd have to send it in like a grocery bag with like an ice pack or something. Now, in the again, in the mail, mm. it might not hold up, but since this is local delivery, you could probably you you, you that, that that thing would probably keep depending on how you now, Buster's not the most sanitary person in the world. And again, he ate half of it. But sure. uh, I think the idea in itself might have merit. Yeah. I, well, you want a sharing partner is the thing. So. Yes. I th- I, and really, I think what I'm thinking that I want is DoorDash because it's close to dinner. So uh, I think I just might be hungry. Um, it's not Muffy. She rebuffs him in the cafeteria fiercely and uh, says that she's not his secret admirer. Buster's next guess is Fern, because based on the poem that was written, Buster even describes Fern. He kind of looks at her from across the cafeteria, just like, oh, Fern, meek, shy, retiring. (laughs) Just all these synonyms for just essentially saying that Fern is quiet. Uh, I like Buster's game here. Check out this fit on him. He's got this, he's got this, like, this, like, delightful old man suit that he goes up to Fern with. He's got like a straw hat. He looks like he's running for mayor in the 1920s. Yeah, straw hat complete with ear holes. And and he's and he's got like a nice a very nice presentable tie and suit combination. He's trying to kind of work his way up to to get Fern. 
He put way more effort into wooing Fern than he did Muffy. I'm just saying. Well, yes, and I get, but I guess the question is, how much of this suit did he have to procure, and how much did he have before? Because he had probably had to pay the stamps to get that bologna sandwich sent in the mail. That's true. So, as he's coming up to Fern, she's writing something, and he's like, "Oh, writing something, eh?" And Fern's like, "Yeah, it's this story where somebody wakes up and they're invisible, and then it's, and then it, of course, in the." In the typical Fern way, it's very, very sad. I kind of thought it sounded like a Goosebumps book. Like, yeah, there is, I would read there this. There is a Goosebumps book about getting invisible. I don't know if they wake up invisible. I think it's literally called Let's Get Invisible. So it's pretty close, but maybe not as sad as Fern would want it to be. So Fern also rebuffs him, just not, in, not interested, and uh, the poem is not her type of poetry. We see also that Buster... Uh, throughout Sue Ellen and also yeah. Molly. Uh, me and Lucas, big fans of Molly being used more regularly. Did you know who this? I, did you know who this character was? I wondered if if you might remember her. No, she she is to Arthur as Shauna is to the Simpsons, just a late arrival teenage character. Well, not so much a late arrival, but it's only been in the last couple of seasons that she's kind of moved to the forefront. Molly is one of the tough customers, which is uh, Binky's. Uh, bully group. Those characters. Huh? Those characters uh. have been around for a long time. But and Molly has been used as far back as season one or two. But she's only really becoming a fully fledged character recently. So you might. I, I I I'd forgive you if you if she maybe didn't come up in your memory right away. No, it's, uh, I'm a fake fan. I guess. <laughs> That's okay. It's I I certainly wouldn't be one to call you that. Uh, it's. What's the opposite of like a fake fan? Probably just obsessed. Like uh, okay. I'm, I'm an Arthur obsessive, so I don't expect everybody no. to have the same level. No, of- you're an expert. You're we. You're not obsessive. Well, as you said in the last episode, Arthur Logian, which I think is a I think mm. is a very uh, respectable term for uh, uh, one of the more respectable terms I've been called in regards to this. So yeah, I love Molly being used more regularly. I think she has a great design, and I do think she's a great character. Um, Buster, his search for a secret admirer is even featured on the Frensky Star, which is Francine's uh, newspaper that she has around the school. I got a big, big laugh out of this. The headline is, who is Buster's secret admirer? Who cares? And and, it's, and the byline <laughs> is by Muffy. I just thought that was really funny. It's bold to put that on the front page, too. Well, it, it because it's re- it's like putting a letter to the editor on your front page. It's really caustic and, like, already setting it up is very hostile. <laughs> Buster has a dream later on, so all of his guesses didn't pan out. And he dreams that his secret admirer, who in his dream is, like... Mm-hmm. Wearing a similar hood to the dream reciters, but they have like this kind of anime swoop in their hair. And also they don't have legs like they kind of float above the ground. Um, He tries to catch up with the secret admirer, but then they go down an alley and it turns out it's a setup to embarrass him as all of his friends are there and telling him how much he stinks and how much nobody likes him and all this kind of stuff. God, elaborate setup. But Buster kind of... I don't know what you would call this. You know, he thought up yeah. the dream reciters so, and the dream reciters. They before give, you get. Here, yeah. Yeah. OK. Sure. 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 Real quick. Yeah, yeah. Real quick. This is where I need to interrupt. You. OK. Sure. And I realize this is a dream. Yes. But 
what part of Elwood City is this alleyway? What part of it? I would guess that it, it is downtown and not far from Buster's apartment building. So here's the thing. Right. In the background, there is a cardboard sign named Atlas Ironworks. Yeah. Which is a St. Louis, Missouri-based company that deals in steel and aluminum. Really? So has has Buster ever been to St. Louis, is my question. Well, that's possible, because, of course, you may remember that his dad is an airplane pilot and has taken him to many places. Now, granted, it's more that he's traveled around the world, but it's very possible that Buster's been to St. Louis before. Right, because this implies to me that, one, he is aware of this company based in St. Louis, Missouri, and two, he is uh, he has nightmares about it being coming disheveled. Right, it's it's a little it's a little bit run down. Now that's a man like it's the writing itself as far as an Easter egg goes. There's not a lot of like it, it's pretty plain. So that's uh, that's how I'm going to say I missed it. And I'm also going to put this out there: the Arthur Wiki doesn't seem to have an explanation as to this in joke, this Easter egg. So I think you might have just, yeah, like you said, thrown a little bit of a wrench mm. into, you know, we were, pr- were pretty confident that it's like a, like Boston, like a, it's like a Philadelphia-esque suburb, but maybe there's a little bit of St. Louis, Missouri. How did you know, how did you know that? I Googled it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Atlas Ironworks. Maybe one of the animators worked in St. Louis or something, but yeah, it's it's an awfully strange place to put in Buster's dream. I guess my explanation would be that he visited St. Louis with his dad, maybe on Postcards with Buster, the uh, spinoff show, and he just it just kind of appeared in his dream because as you know, uh, dreams are often just your brain's your brain working out and like just essentially recycling information that is ultimately meaningless, but. That's a great catch, Rage. I, I did not see that in the wild myself. Anyways, that that was a tangent. What, what was the prank? What are the mean kids doing to Buster in his dream? Well, they're basically just saying, like, ah, you stink. Nobody likes you. It's, you know, that kind of, that kind of thing. Oh, poor Buster. So Buster, he, the idea of the dream reciters, that was his. And the dream reciters appear in his dream. And they have the knowledge as non-living beings themselves to give Buster the idea to check the poem again. And it's in checking the poem that he finds a secret message in some of the, I think the highlighted words or the capital letters or something. It, it's an acost and it's an acrostic. It's it, the, the first letter of each line spells fall. Oh, thank you. Across That's a word. That's a word that I never remember until like somebody's like, that, yeah, that's a word I haven't heard since third grade. <laughs> An acrostic that reveals the secret admirer. And as I, again, I'm not trying to sound like I'm smart here. I'm, you know, oh, the 30 year old watched Arthur and he guessed the mystery right away. Yeah. Um, yeah. Buster's mom, Bitsy, is his secret admirer. And it's all part of their celebration of one of the many holidays that they celebrate together. They make up holidays. If you've never seen the Arthur Christmas special, they don't call it Christmas. They call it Baxter Day because Christmas is a little bit uh, a little bit of a fraught term in their household. So they celebrate mm. Baxter Day. 
This one is for Fall Equinox Day. They also mention Pink Sock Day and Be Kind to Pigeons Day. So Buster made breakfast for his mom and also sent her uh, a little bit of a secret admirer treat as well. And it's, I thought this was a very cute way to end it. I, you know, it's, I did see it coming, but it was also very heartwarming to see where it all ended up. Yeah, it was very nice. Although, at the start of the episode, we do see the mailman hand the mother the package. Hmm. So I guess she sent it to herself to complete the ruse. Yeah, I mean that's you know that's uh yeah that that's that's committing to the bit and that's throwing your scent off the trail. That's and that's the whole thing is that sending it sending it to Buster kind of gives him a little bit to work with, a little bit of fun to have, and solving the mystery, which was right there in the card that she gave him as well. So I think that that's she's just really good at committing to the bit, just as a journalist. I think she would have a good idea of how to make something mysterious. You know, I, mm-hmm. I imagine she's dealt with mysterious sources in her life in various ways. And as a mother, she knows her son's obvious limitations. So. <laughs> that's that's a very kind way to put it. Um, all right. So we're going to get into the second half of this Arthur episode right after this. Hey everybody, it's Lucas from the Elwood City Limits podcast, and if you love ECL, there's a couple of ways to keep up with us. You could go to facebook.com slash elwoodcitylimits, at ECL podcast, that's our Twitter. We take questions on Tumblr, it's elwoodcitylimits.tumblr.com. There is an Instagram as well, Elwood City Limits on Instagram. Of course, if you want to donate to the show and get exclusive content, whether that's our full-length commentary of the Arthur movies, our brand new a bi-weekly PBS Kids review show as well as our video game movie reviews with the Sonic movie review and Pikachu movie review you can check out patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits uh, and that's also going to get you access to the Elwood City Limits Discord which me and Will like to post in from time to time and if you want that sweet sweet Elwood City Limits merch check out teespring.com slash stores slash Elwood hyphen city hyphen limits hyphen store you can listen to the podcast at libsyn.com slash Elwood City Limits, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and there's other podcast apps like Stitcher. And if we're not on your favorite app, let us know. And where can you let us know? Well, that's going to be at ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. That's also where you can send us a question and we'll read it on the show. Finally, if you want to support the podcast, the best way to do so is to tell a friend who likes animation or Arthur or just podcasts in general and to go to our iTunes page and rate us out of five stars. Apparently, that helps podcasts out. Bye, everybody. So this one, The Last King of Lamb Land, which... I mean, right away. Ray, do you ever seen the movie The Last King of Scotland? Yes, I have. Uh, So, okay, are we supposed to intuit that James is E.B. Amen here? (laughs) Perhaps. I think it's more that... I mean, I I guess I kind of took it as face value, and... Just thinking that, like, well, I guess it's because their ancestors are Scottish? But you had to work backwards from that, right? Have they been established as Scottish before? Well, um, their last name is MacDonald. 
So oh, okay, this, this it's it's been established that Molly and James's last name is McDonald, and they kind of go into it in this cold open here. Um, so they get a letter from their uncle Miles, who is I'm I'm I, like again I think it's Scotland, even though he has a British accent, and he sends him a letter um, that he visited Castle Kilflurgan which was built by Flurgan the Fantastic and head of the McDougal Donald clan, which I guess is where McDonald comes from. Um, this whole kind of f- fantastic story about the building of Castle Kilflurgan and Flurgan the Fantastic, what a great king he was. But then afterwards, there were other not-so-great rulers. Now tag yourself here, Ra- Rage. Are you mm. Kilgore the Dim, Edna the Easily Amused, or Oliver the Walloper? I am easily amused. I was kind of going towards easily amused as well. Oh, then I'll be dim. That's okay. Well, and uh, because I, I didn't want, I didn't want to, you know, try not to put myself down too much. I wouldn't say I'm dim, and I wouldn't say you're dim either. Rage. I think we could oh, both. Thank you. I think we could both be easily amused. Wow. Um. So, eventually, in this legend that uh, Uncle Miles is kind of interpreting from a tapestry, a shepherd boy comes to kill Flurgan. And he's described as a shy, magical boy who has the power to talk to animals and summon rain. And they appoint him king. His name is James the Squinty. Um, so I'm actually, maybe I'm James the Squinty because uh, a recent development in my life is that I just got glasses for the first time. Oh, how are they treating you? Not too bad. I only have to use them for when I'm watching the TV or looking at things far away. But uh, I like the way they look, and they're they're doing their job. In fact, they kind of look a little bit like James's glasses. They're a little bit uh, wiry and small. Um, and Ray, Rage, you're a you're you're a glasses wearer as well, yes? Indeed, I am. How long have you been wearing glasses? Uh, since I almost walked into the street because I couldn't see the street. How how old were you? Uh, seven or eight. Seven or eight. Okay, so uh, quite a long time at this point. I'm glad you life didn't, I'm Glad you didn't walk into the street. By the way, uh, no, someone caught <laughs> someone with better vision. Goodness. Um, so with this, uh, Uncle Miles sends over a toy sheep, which is said to bestow the power and wisdom of the shepherd boy onto James, who is DW's classmate. Uh, Molly also gets a CD of the Scottish punk band Lock Tess. So there's there's definitely plenty of great punk bands from around that part of Europe, but uh, I don't know if Lock I don't think Lock Tess is real. It's a good name though. Yeah, it's not bad. I also wanted to mention this: the writer of this episode is Tolan Brown, who is actually the son of Arthur creator Mark Brown. This is the first episode that he wrote for the show. He wrote one other wow. after this. So if it's nepotism, <laughs> well, I mean, I, you know, mild spoilers. I'm not mad. I'm not mad at it. Like, yeah, I also think it's always good to good get some new voices in here because sometimes mm-hmm. we can, you know, a lot of the same people are still working on Arthur in season 15 that were in season one. Like the person doing the storyboards, for this episode, Robert Yap was here from season one. So not to say that it's getting old or anything, but it's I think it's always good to get some new voices in here. And why mm. not the son of the big cheese himself? Interesting choice to 
focus on not only side characters, but I would argue uh, side side characters, the sidest of side characters. Right, because so Molly is someone you weren't necessarily familiar with. Do, do you recognize James at all? Not at all. Yeah, he definitely only started playing a bit more of a role, I'd say, like, probably after you stopped watching, and even then, like, several seasons afterwards. And usually, he's just kind of a sidekick for DW in, like, an episode or two a season. It's only been... This is actually one of the biggest character focuses he's ever gotten. Um, I'd be interested... Uh, well, I'll, I guess I'll ask you... I guess I'll ask you that at the end. So... The episode where James takes the lamb along with him to school and the antagonists right away are the Tibble twins. And they think, first of all, they think it looks like a mouse instead of a lamb. And they're just, you know, kind of kind of make fun of James a little bit. There's actually a funny scene transition. They do this sometimes. And it's just the Tibbles and both of their heads go across the screen and they both blow a raspberry. It's so good. I liked I liked it. I liked it. Um one of the, I guess, underlying uh, continual themes of this episode is how to get rid of hiccups. There's this kid who has been in DW segments for a, a long time now, and we learned that his name is Liam. It's the little bear kid with the orange overalls, uh, and he has he has the hiccups, and people are trying to figure out what how to cure the hiccups. So the Tibbles try to scare him, and then he accidentally steps on James's lunch. Uh, later on, DW, <laughs> DW says, like, you can't just say, say boo. You need something scary, like Arthur, which seems like, uh, a, a big on its face DW sick burn there. But she's actually referring to when Arthur was in his costume from a previous episode, Hick or Treat, which was his Frankentist costume, the Frankenstein dentist. Would you, now, Rage, we're, we're days away from from starting the Halloween season. What'd you think of the Frankentist costume? It was good. Did, like, it, did you get, did I, you get the, like, did, that it was yeah. Frankenstein dentist or was that a little I muddled? did not. I, I was going to ask what makes it different from Frankenstein. Uh, just that Arthur, I think he dresses up with like a scalpel and he has like a doctor's robe on. Okay, I I think I would trust Frankenstein to be my dentist. And of and of course it's it's it might not be even the Frankenstein. Frank like Frankenstein's monster. Right, the could, monster. We could just be using that term uh colloquially. It's open to interpretation. I think it's pretty pretty good. But so DW's talking about, you know, you need something scary like Arthur to cure your hiccups. Rage, do you have a go to hiccup cure before before I say mine? I uh stand in the bathtub. And I bend upside down and try to drink water that way. Really? Yeah, I I, I basically drown myself. Does that does that work? Uh, sometimes. So so what what would you say is the success rate if you had to kind of scare up a, a percentage here? I, I'd say like sixty percent, more than half. And when? How long have you been kind of working with this? Like when? How did you dis? How do you discover something like that? Oh geez, I don't know. I heard <laughs> you gotta hold your breath. You gotta yeah. drink water. Yeah. yeah. So just you do both at the same time by bending down. You ensure you can't breathe. Okay. So you're. <clears throat> Let me just make sure I have this right. You stand. Yeah. You st- you turn the shower head on, right? No. Oh, I'm sorry. It's just so I don't get water everywhere. Basically, I stand up. Yeah. I put my head between my knees. Okay. And then I have a water bottle. I I 
pour it into my mouth upside down, like. Okay. And yeah, that's what I do. All right, so your head's been. I can draw you a diagram. Maybe, if you want. like honestly, maybe. Um, All right. So you put your head between your knees. Do you kind of like feed the water bottle in from behind you? Yeah. Oh, I see. Jeez, you're you're flexible. I don't think I can it's, actually do that. Yeah, it's an intense uh, regimen, to be honest. Okay, well, I was just going to say peanut butter. That seems way easier. <laughs> I should try that. Peanut butter is great for, for getting rid of hiccups. It's my go-to cure, and it okay. and I will say I got that from Arthur. There's an episode, I mean, we've done, we, again, we've done the episode where DW has the hiccups for the whole thing, and... Uh, Grandma Thor's cure is chewing peanut butter slowly, and uh, that works for me, but uh, you know what? Maybe just for science, next time I'll see if I can even do yours, period, and and then may, and then I'll, I'll, I'll get back to you. Please do. I mean, I, if I can remember to do it, I will honestly try. Okay, uh, you're bold. <laughs> um, so yeah, James's lunch got stepped on as they're talking about hiccup cures. Everybody, like DW and Liam and Emily, all give him parts of their lunch, which I thought was I thought was a very sweet, very sweet thing to do. Mm. And so James goes to throw away his uh, lunch, but then decides that there's you know there's some hungry squirrels and birds, so he decides to feed his lunch to the to the animals, and the Tibbles see this and. James did the whole explanation of like you know the sheep is meant to bestow the powers of the king and like talking to animals controlling the uh, summoning the rain and so the Tibbles see this and they think that maybe James can speak to animals right and then and, and then as they kind of get in his face about it uh, Timmy's like you can't you can't make the rain start and then the rain starts and that kind of spooks them and then later on they see uh, Molly and James going into Brains Mom's ice cream shop, and Molly needs a quarter to finish up their ice cream order, and James has right. one hidden in the lamb's mouth, which I thought was okay. really cute. Just a very so little kid one, thing. It seems like a waste of a lunch. Like, uh, that lunch could have been salvaged, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's it was stepped on, but it was also out... It was still in the bag. Like, the bag yeah. itself was stepped on. So it all depends on, like... And that's that's not a shoe step. That kid was wearing a sock like it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's it it all depends, and it also depends on the type of structure of your sandwich. At the very least, you could have sent it to Molly, or Muffy. Which one, Molly or Muffy? Muffy. <laughs> Take back this joke from the first. Episode. Right, right. <laughs> but two, I can't believe Molly has to bum a quarter off her six-year-old brother hey she's punk man sometimes she doesn't have the exact change can you handle right, can sure. you handle it sorry she's not <laughs> built for your society rage what are these uh lock tests uh punk bands teaching her hey man they're just teaching her how to live she ice cream good capitalism bad sounds good to me baby ah <sighs> So when they see that, that convinces the Tibbles that he is indeed a ma he has magic powers. They even bow to him on the way out of the ice cream shop. All hail King James. So the Tibbles begin to like actually wait on him. In fact, at one point they go so far that like uh, they start like acting as his royal guard. And they wear like colanders on their heads and they have brooms as they're like um, st the, the staves. 
I don't know. I just thought that that was a funny way. There's a lot of really fun kid imagination ways to make this come across. Um, DW is afraid that James is going to go mad with power like the kings of old. We have this like imagination sequence where he is just being a completely unreasonable king, which is a bit of a leap to make. Uh, Since you're not familiar with James, his main character traits are that he's very meek and agreeable and kind of quiet and doesn't really stick up for himself. He's he's kind of a wimp. Right. And it's in getting this power that indeed, as DW's imagination kind of said, he kind of does go a little mad with power. And because we see the Tibbles pushing people around, not physically, but like, you know, making sure that James has everything he needs. And James kind of goes along with it. He's It goes to his head. It does. And I actually do appreciate that this is a James episode. We get to see a bit more of a range of emotion, especially in the um in the f- fantasy sequence where he like gets to be like a little bit mean, a little bit uh uh evil even or not evil, but just kind of cruel. And he crushes uh, all the Madelines. That's right. Yeah, Madelines. That's the Emily that those those were the kind of things from Emily. And Emily is very much like she's she's like a little not she's she's not french herself but she's she as as lucas coined one time she is a we a boo uh for the french for the french culture so do you know what a mad seems do you know what a madeline is uh yeah it's like a cookie with cream in the middle right oh i see okay Uh, she seems very sensible though she's the one who suggests just talking to James. Emily can kind of go back and forth sometimes. Oh, yeah? Sometimes she is like DW's version of Muffy, and other times she's just kind of a normal little girl. So it all depends on kind of huh. what side of Emily they want to show. So yeah, she's a bit more agreeable this time around. Um, DW at one point goes into King James's throne room, which again is very cute. It's like made up with pillows. It's It, it kind of looks like a big pillow fort, essentially. And, and James is wearing this... Uh, it kind of looks like the Burger King crown a little bit. Did you ever get to wear the Burger King crown? Uh, I've worn the paper crowns you get in, like, New Year crackers. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know if I ever wore the Burger King one, no. Oh, I think every child should wear the Burger King crown at Aww. least once. I'm sorry. Um, and also, the... T- <laughs> Throughout the throughout the school, like the Tibbles are making sure George gets preferential treatment, and then more and more, he's annoying his friends by acting acting this way or at least letting the tibbles act this way like for example they push dw they don't push them but they make dw and emily leave the swing set so that all three of them can swing and emily kind of points out that he's not being a very nice person um what's funny is that the tibbles address james as king a lot and that's just funny that's just funny today it's just like (laughs) You know, the, I almost wanted them to say, yeah. you dropped this king. <laughs> James, the short king. He is the short king. You're right. <laughs> uh, and they're just constantly like, what's wrong, king? Like, are you good, king? And it's just, I don't know. It's even funnier now. They, could, they couldn't have seen this one coming. Um, eventually, Jane sees how he's hurting his friend's feelings because um, he's crushing sandcastles with the Tibbles, and one of them... Uh, takes away Liam's bulldozer toy, and Liam starts to cry, and then James kind of snaps out of it and gives him back his toy. And then eventually, James decides that he doesn't want to be king anymore, especially after he talks it over with Molly, who has to explain to him that 
the story that their uncle told them about the sheep granting powers is a legend, which means that it's not real. Right. And the end of the episode is James apologizing to Liam, and he offers him the crown, to which Liam is very scared and like, no, 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 I don't want it. And then that gets rid of Liam's hiccups, which this is like the next day. And this is this King James thing has been going on for several days. By the way, King James, ha ha ha, LeBron James. And uh, James, you know, this is, he's been, like I said, he's been doing this for several days. Liam has just had the hiccups for like four or five days. That's kind of scary. The hiccups are hard. I know they can be, but like sometimes you hear about like the world record holder of like people having hiccups for years. And it's just like, I've never had a bout of hiccups last Longer than, like, I don't know, an hour or two? Like, days. I feel like I would go crazy. I don't know if I could take it. No, and at that point, how many liters of water are you drinking from between your legs? Uh, Just as much as I can, I guess. (laughs) I've never run into this issue. You're just just chugging. At that point, you gotta gotta break out the peanut butter. You gotta go to the the closest corner store, get yourself some craft, and then... uh, But I'm still going to eat it upside down. Sure. Who knows? Maybe yeah. that actually will work better. Can Can we talk about Molly's setup for a second? Oh, sure. Yeah, totally. Her room is immaculate. My God. So d- d- can you just desc- describe it a little bit? Describe what you like about it. I would kill to have this room. She has a couch in it. Mm. As a teenager, she has just a, a load of bookshelves. No, not, e- not even a teenager. Molly's like nine She's only nine? Yeah. Oh, my God. She has uh, just a kick-ass guitar. Yep. Uh, she's got I, a disc. I want this room now. She's, I want this room as, like, a 28-year-old. She's 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 got a disc, man. She's got several rugs on the go. Um, yeah. She's got a very full bookshelf. She's got an amp. Um, yeah, this is, dude, all this needs is, all this needs is a TV. And like an an Xbox 360, and we're in business. I say that of like set. around when this came out. She's set for life. Yeah, yeah. This actually, you're right. I'm glad. I'm glad that you mentioned this. This is a really cool room. So that brings like that's kind of the end. Like J- James is like, I don't want to be king anymore, and his friends accept him back. It's a little bit of a rushed ending, but you know, whatever. Um, what was I going to ask? I was going to ask you something about James. Oh. Did you get did you get like a feeling for James's character by the end of this? Like, did you get a better idea of who he is, or like how how did he strike you, James specifically? He seems easily persuaded, Hmm. easily influenced by the Tibble twins. He seems like kind of a pushover, to be honest. Yeah, I think that's pretty much how he's been put across so far. All right, Rage. um, Let's take a look at Arthur here. So. When you joined us the first time, it was season 13. I will say not a lot has changed. We're just a little bit farther down the pike here. But this is, I will say, this is the final Arthur season that doesn't use Flash animations. This is the final traditionally animated one. So Buster's Secret Admirer, on your return to Arthur and Elwood City Limits, what do you think of this episode? You know, I I really like Buster as a character. Uh, The plot is kind of... Uh, straightforward. You you can tell it's his mom from the beginning, as you said. But there's some good twists and turns with Buster's mystery investigation. 
Uh, also, something we didn't touch on is there's just a real person on the stamps. Yes, like, that's actually been something that's been happening oh, yeah? in a few episodes of Arthur, and some of our eagle-eyed listeners have noticed this, that there are just, like, real people pictures in, yeah, in, in and around this whole thing. And I, I think it's I think it's just, like, pictures of the crew. So, yeah, that's, again, good catch. You're a lot, you were watching a little bit closer than I was. Uh, yeah, I like this a lot. I like, okay, Buster's getup, fantastic. Uh, Muffy and Fern interactions, always good. Uh, good episode. I, I enjoyed this episode. So did I. I liked it too. Um, we really let Buster g- go a little wild here. And usually, and some, sometimes that's okay. But in this context, I thought it was really funny. There's there's some good lines in here. I liked as much as I was like, oh, it's probably Bitsy at the beginning. I liked the the kind of path that Buster takes to getting there made sense, and it was yeah. fun to kind of see him unravel it. Plus, there were some imaginative things in there, like the dream reciters, and just some of the ways in which Buster um, kind of sussed things out in his dream and just little character touches here and there with every interaction that I really enjoyed. And it was, as I said before, a nice heartwarming ending. I love the relationship between Bitsy and Buster. It's very special. And this was another way to, to put that across. So I think they did and a good it's job. seasonal. It's uh, yes. we just entered fall and now the fall episode is coming. That's right. Fern at one point literally says it's September. Uh, so, and we're recording this in September. This is actually, this is, this is going to come out in uh, September as we move into October. So you're right. Good uh, f- uh, fall equinox day they were celebrating. Good catch. Um, it wasn't as hot on the last King of Lambland, but again, there's some likable things in here. I appreciate seeing Molly. I like James getting a little bit of a feature, and the idea behind it was interesting. I, Lucas and I, and especially me, have been ones to complain about the DW episodes or like the DW character focused episodes being a bit more kitty. And this one, maybe a little bit, but it was um, like sometimes it can feel a little bit like 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 Rugrats light in terms of like the event, the adventures they can go on. But this one was okay. Like I, I, I liked the idea of James getting a little bit of unearned confidence and then letting it go to his head because it means that his character is getting used a bit more. Um, I liked the the idea behind it. Um, I appreciated the Tibbles uh, going, becoming his servants and his kind of royal guard was probably my favorite part of the episode. Yeah. I felt like DW could have had a little bit more time in here. I felt like her presence was a little bit, mm, I don't know. Like I, I felt there could have been a bit of, of better use with her. And I don't know why, th- this isn't a complaint. I'm just a little... I find it a little odd sometimes when we dig into like the side characters, like Liam, and just like okay, so he has a name now, yeah. but he wasn't much of a character. It's like DW could have easily had the hiccups, and we could have done a call back to her having the hiccups, uh, having them for days. In fact, if you wanted to, you could have done this as like this actually happened in the or well, then again, they would have to um, resolve the hiccup situation, which was oh, yeah. previously resolved anyway. The, the point is, I feel like you could have made better use out of DW personally, but all in all, I thought this was a I thought this was an okay episode. I like the ideas going on here, and it's cool that Tolan Brown got to uh, 
got to write something for his dad's show. Uh, Tolan, the I, the fact about him is that in every book, Mark Brown likes to put Tolan's name in secret somewhere in the book. So oh, that's it fun. seems he has a bit more of a claim to Arthur and it was than most people. And it was cool to see what he does with the world. Now, I do find it interesting that he was kind of given a, as you said, a side side character, probably just so that in case this is maybe me projecting, but it's like maybe in case Tolan didn't, uh, his episode didn't turn out so well. At least it was with a, uh, uh, a lesser character that less people care about. But yeah, I, I, I liked James getting to stretch his wings a little bit. What about you rage? Uh, I like the premise a lot. I think there's a lot of potential there. I would describe it as more cute than actually funny, to be honest. Yeah, uh, yeah. But uh, I I think I like Molly. I think I like James, having met them this one time. And I learned that rabbits are the most common animal in Elwood City. They're certainly up there. We'd have to take. The, we'd have to do like an Elwood City census at this point, but I'd say it's between like them and maybe bears. But then there are a lot okay. of like bear-like animals that are just like celebrities with rounded ears. So that could get really tricky. But Elwood City oh. census. Hey, uh, if any if anybody from the Arthur Wiki is listening, or if one of our listeners wants to undergo that, uh, I'd love to see the results. Uh, so please... That's a thankless task. <laughs> no, I, I disagree. You would get my thanks. You'd get Lucas's okay. thanks. Oh, sure. So it's a, uh, I'm, I'm maybe not a thankful task, but it is a task with thanks in it. So feel free to run with it. Well, Rage, uh, it's been really great having you back. And see, this is this is this is what I love. A lot of times, I have a guest on here, and they bring in insights that you couldn't normally get Lucas and I, we've been doing this for 15 seasons. Sometimes things in an Arthur episode wash over us, but then you get a new set of eyes on here and it's, it just completely refreshes everything. You notice some things that I completely miss. So thank you so much for your insights. Um, what's up next for podcast 69? Oh, it was a pleasure podcast 69. Uh, I guess this is coming out, uh, on the what 30th you think? Yeah, should be. Tomorrow, tomorrow afternoon, you can listen to the next episode of Podcast 69, right. episode 69 of Mythbusters. Mythbusters, okay. So that's, you. not only do you do, because you've, you've done Arthur as well, which, uh, which I believe that was Lucas who was a guest on that one, and... So you've done, you do like episodic shows like Arthur, and then you, or rather I should say, um... You do serialized shows and you do episodic shows. So this one, you won't have to, you know, have seen the other sixty-eight episodes necessarily. This, um, oh, I, I don't, I don't want you to give away the game here. I'm just really curious what's going to be in that sixty-ninth episode. But I guess I better listen. If you like big subwoofers, you might want to listen. Big subwoofers. There you go. What more do you guys need? Check out Podcast 69. Rage is covering all sorts of television shows. I love the, I love, just love the range, the sheer range of the topics you cover. So, Rage, thanks again. And of course, you are on uh, Twitter as well. You're a good, you're a good follow there. Yeah, that's uh, R E underscore Exot Agoo. Or you just look up Relag, you'll find me. It's a, uh... I think I'm a good follow. I think I do funny tweets. I agree. I happen to agree, and I think Lucas does too. 
So that's Rage and Podcast 69, our guest for this week on Elwood City Limits. Real quick for our patrons, coming up for for the kids, a PBS Kids podcast next week, we're getting into the Krat Brothers again. So we've talked about Zaboomafu in the past with our April Fool's Day episode. This time we're going to do a little bit of a potted history of the Krat Brothers' involvement with PBS all the way up to the animated series Wild Krats. So if any patrons have any episode suggestions for us, leave them in the Discord or on the Patreon, and we'll be, and Lucas and I should be talking about Wild Kratts next week. And very soon, patrons, you will be finding out about the changes coming to the Elwood City Limits Patreon. I think you'll like them. Then next time on Elwood City Limits, we'll be talking about Senseless and Buster the Lounge Lizard as our journey through Season 15 continues. Thanks again, Rage. It was great to reconnect with you, and uh, I'm sure that you'll be back at some point, and uh, maybe we'll get you on in, like, the Flash era or something, and we can, again, get your new eyes adjusted to what Arthur looked like into the end of its life cycle. Ooh, I've never seen it, I don't think. Mm, I think I'm going to be probably onboarding quite a lot of guests into the Flash era, so I'll be happy to add you to the roster. But so glad that you that you came here, and thanks a lot for adding your expertise. For Elwood City Limits, I'm Will Young, and for Rage... This was a complexly delicious podcast, if I might say so. You may. I will allow it. We'll see you next time.